So today I'm speaking to Daniel Mills, who's a current Dulwich Hamlet and former Peter footballer. How's it going, mate? You okay? Long time no see. Yeah, really pleased to be here, man. Um, it's been a, been a very long time, so yeah, really pleased to be uh, catching up. Good stuff. I think the last time we seen each other uh, was, what, Tamworth, 2012? Yeah, would have been about 11 years ago now. Um, yeah, December 2012 is when I went back to Peterborough, so yeah, been been a while, been a while. Crazy, crazy. And obviously between then and now, a lot's happened. So talk to me, how's things, how's life for you? Yeah, I mean, really busy, really busy. Um, I'm a lot older than the last time that we obviously spoke and when we when we played with each other. But yeah, it's been it's been a been a good period, been a good time. Um, very busy doing a lot of work off the football pitch. Um, I think I've made such a big transition, probably only really in the last couple of years, probably since COVID. And yeah, my life has really kind of yeah, changed really since since COVID, to be fair. And, um, I, you know, I know a lot of the um, conversations that, that you have with players is around that that transition. And I feel like I'm definitely in that process of transitioning now from from playing to, to going into a, a normal job, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Love that. It sounds like you've got a lot going on. We'll touch on that a bit later on. So what's your typical day? Talk to me kind of what you're up to nowadays. Yeah, so uh, my day-to-day, so my actual job title now is I, I'm in diversity and inclusion. So I'm a diversity and inclusion consultant, um, work for, for a firm in London. Um, so I work for a membership organisation uh, that works with different organisations on their responsible business journey. Um, and one of those sort of areas is diversity and inclusion. So I have a portfolio of different um organizations um and just supporting them with that that agenda really so i could be doing talks and presentations on talking on sort of tough topic top, tough topics sorry about maybe race or allyship reviewing policies on another day doing focus groups on another day so yeah it can very it can vary to be honest from day to day and and of course sort of three times a week i'm, I'm still sort of training and playing so yeah really busy that sounds great and, and like so with that then, like you said, it's like a very day, weekly kind of changes as well. So with that in mind, so how do you combine that with kind of having that focus kind of mentality, kind of typical working job, if that makes sense, uh, and coupled with playing as well? How do you manage kind of both of those roles? It's quite tough, to be honest with you. I think, you know, over the last couple of years, I've learned to live my life for a diary. I think that's really important is being as organised as possible. Um, if it's not in my diary, it doesn't exist. I can't do it. So I think that's one, been one of the biggest things for me is just trying to be as organised. And I think being able to work from home the majority of the time, this world that we live in post-COVID is, is brilliant because... I can literally roll out of bed, go into my office next next door, mm. work and then sort of take my time and go to football. I think it would have been quite challenging if I was, say, in an office five five times a day and then still going to football. So I think that's made made it a lot a lot easier. So the mm. odd day that I do have to go in or travel for work isn't, isn't too bad. Mm. So with that said then, do you think kind of the change that COVID brought for all of us has kind of helped you? with that kind of transition period and moving into that particular role that you're doing at the minute? 
massively without COVID, I don't think I would be here at this point in my life anyway. I think when when COVID happened, I think it was a time of reflection for all of us and the rug got pulled up from 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 under all of us and we didn't really know what was going to happen. Uh, and it was quite a scary time, to be honest, because at the time I was training full time, I was coaching in the academy at Dulwich, kind of happy-go-lucky, was all ticking along, right? Like everything yeah. was sweet. And then all of a sudden, this pandemic hit um, and I think once that happened I you know I started doing a lot of reading a lot of reflecting and thinking to myself you know what do I really want to do when I when I finish football mm. and really just kind of stumbled into this kind of space really um, started doing a little bit of work for show racing the red card who I'm a big supporter of um, as you know after doing the uh, board qualification I now sit on the board at, at the red card um, and then it just kind of spiraled from there really um, and I found myself working at where I work now and yeah, it's been it's been a great trend. It's been a great process of transition. Mm. I know you mentioned kind of COVID made you sit back and kind of reflect on what you want kind of moving forward long term. But what made you move into the kind of EDI space and all those kind of things in that kind of particular, uh, under that particular umbrella? I suppose I've always been passionate in, about that space, but didn't know there was a job to do it, if that made sense. You know, mm -hmm. I, growing up, I was always passionate and, and always looked at my history and was always reading and always researching and always, always loved uh, listening to, you know, your Martin Luther Kings, your Malcolm X's, really just looking at, you know, those stories. And I had a friend that worked at Show Race in the Red Card and I said to myself, do you know what? I know they're obviously linked with footballers and stuff like that. Let me, let me give it a go. Let me just be a fly on the wall. Um, I then sort of done a, a qualification um, just sort of a basic qualification in EDI just to really learn the space a little bit more um, and then as I started doing the work for show race and the red card part-time I've sort of thought, thought to myself do you know what this is something I really enjoy uh, I've done it for a year and then I thought to myself I really want to turn the screw now with this and, and do more um, mm -hmm. and that's where I sort of found myself you know looking at jobs in diversity and inclusion on a more full-time basis um, and got an opportunity and, and haven't really looked back since. Amazing stuff and I suppose by kind of based on what you said there, it all kind of happened quite quickly. Did you think it would happen so quickly or did you think it would be more of a slow burner type thing? Yeah, I think I, I definitely thought it would be more of a slow burner. I think I think it's one of them ones where when opportunity presents itself, you've really got to try and grab it with both hands. And I think that I was able to do that. Um, there was a lot of things that I was very anxious and nervous about going into that into that world. Obviously, we're used to being on a pitch. We're used to being in a dressing room. We're in our sort of bubble, we're in our comfort zone. Yeah. But this was a more serious space that I had to get myself into. I had to learn a lot of skills. I had to learn how to speak. I had to learn how to present. I had to learn, you know, different areas of, of equality, diversity, inclusion, which I'm still continuing to learn. Mm. Um, but as things started to, to go and progress, I thought to myself, Do you know what? I'm just going to keep going with it and keep going with it and keep going with it and try and grab another opportunity if it comes. And, and luckily, it, so far, it seems to have paid off. Mm, definitely. I have been watching in the background, as you know, and obviously looking at your progress and stuff. So keep up the good work from that perspective. I suppose it's one of those things where, like in anything, really, you never really stop learning. There's always opportunities to learn out there. It's whether you want to kind of take those opportunities and, and grasp them like you have done. So you mentioned earlier you're now on a board. Uh, so, so talk to me. What does it feel like being on a, on a board? Because I'm on a board as well. And for me, like, I think the course that we both did whilst we yeah. didn't do it at the same time, that massively helped. I think without that course, it would have been a kind of, yeah, just whole heap of different scenarios thrown in, in one place. And it would have been a lot more difficult to make that step into the boardroom for me, surely, uh, definitely. But 
how was it for you? How's it been so far? Yeah, I think like you said, I think doing that course through the PFA was was eye-opening. Um, having the opportunity to do that was was incredible because again, it wasn't something I ever saw myself really doing at that particular time. So to learn about governance and to learn how boards are run and what governance actually looks like has been was really interesting. It was tough, as you know, it was a tough course. It was, you know, you had to put in the work and mm. going back to studying was challenging in itself to really do homework and to to actually revise and you know prepare for the exam and do sort of the coursework stuff but I think that really just kind of I felt like it just rebooted my brain if that makes sense it really kind of got got that buzz again for studying and learning because I really enjoyed doing it when I was at school Mm -hmm. um and even after that course we we know that just because you do a qualification doesn't mean you're going to sit on a board or it doesn't mean you're going to be this or be that but um sort of short short shortly after that I um was at my old secondary school doing just a, a little bit of a talk I've always stayed close with some of the teachers there that are still there um, and, they, and they said that there was a role coming up as uh, well they were thinking about getting some more governors and some more board members and this was while I was still doing the course um, and I said well do you know what I'll throw my name in the hat and and, and see what it's about so um, I managed to be accepted on, on the board at my old secondary school and that was really my first kind of first experience of, of being on a board and it was like, whoa, right, this is this has actually happened now. Um now I've got to start putting um these things into practice. I've got to start looking at looking at my uh, the governance book and you know what yeah. Carl's teaching us and all this kind of stuff. And it's I've really enjoyed it. And and then probably about four or five months ago, um show race and the red card um put out put out an application for for some more trustees or non-executive directors and went through the interview process and was accepted on on the board there. So you know, in the space of a year, 18 months to, to now be sitting on two boards is, is incredible and, and, and learning learning the governance role and, and, and learning how the board interacts with each other and my role on that is has been really eye-opening. Yeah, it's massive. And I always remember, like, during the course, Carl used to say, and you know Carl, he's very, very engaged in the course. For anyone out there who's, who's kind of thinking about moving into the board space, worthwhile kind of speaking to Carl, if not jumping on that, that course anyway. But Carl always used to say that everything has an element of governance in it. And until I did that course, I didn't have a clue about that. I just used to see things in the news and think, oh, that's cool. That's not very well run and whatever. And then literally, as soon as he said that, I thought, okay, let's, let's kind of investigate. And literally everything, every day in the news or whatever, you can just identify there. That's poor governance. That's yeah. happened as a result of something not working quite right at the top. And it's filtered down into everyone else underneath that kind of, um, the top top tier of that particular company or organization. So, yeah, it's for me, I always, and when I was playing, I always thought if I'm going to do a course or something of that nature, it needs to be something that I'm passionate about that's going to potentially lead to something afterwards. I didn't just want to do a course and then kind of just dwell on the certificate or whatever accreditation it is that I, I may or may not have attained at that particular time. So, I knew that I wanted to get on a board. Okay, getting on a board is very difficult anyway. So what can I do to enhance my chances of getting on the board? And obviously then I did the course knowing that when I did apply for applications, once I put that on there and with it being an accredited course as well, it's always going to heighten your chances of obviously getting accepted and assuming you did the same thing. Yeah, 100%. And 
it was only when I spoke to the head teacher at the school, I said, you know, I'm actually currently doing a governance qualification, really enjoying it, learning about it. And that's when he, you know, he said to me, well, you know, we're actually looking for a, for a new board member at the moment. And it would be interesting mm -hmm. to speak to you further about it. So the course definitely opened, opened doors for me. Um, and I think that without the course, I would have been lost <laughs> because mm -hmm. I think even with the course, you're lost. That's the thing, because it's like you've you got the theory, but when you're actually in the arena, yeah. for want of a better phrase, it's like, okay, right, this is, you know, this is even, this is real. This is newer than what, I don't know anything here because you need to learn about the organisation. You need to know what the strengths and the weaknesses are. What are the challenges? You know, who are the board members? What are they like? You know, we learn it in the course, you know, mm -hmm. the characters and the animals and how, how, we, how, we, yeah. how we teach the course. And it's like, right, now I'm looking around. Are they, uh, what are they, what are they? Are they a penguin? Are they, do you know what I mean? And I'm thinking, yeah. right, okay, this is, this is really interesting. Are they a peacock or, mm. or, or whatever? So I think the course gives a good foundation for your learning. Mm. But even when you do go into the space for the first time, it's still quite mind blowing when you go into it. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. I'll second that. Um, in terms of help, cause I know you mentioned, obviously you went on the course and that was via the PFA, which is great. Um, and you mentioned obviously you had links to your like secondary school and, and things like that. So with that in mind, did you did you get any help from any former teammates or ex-managers that you've come across while playing football or family members that may have helped you kind of steer you in that kind of the direction that you've gone into at the minute? Yes. It's definitely when I went into uh, when I started doing some part time work for Show Race and Red Card. Uh, one of my ex teammates used to work for them um, and worked for them for many years, um, and sort of gave me a bit of a contact um, to then go in and and sort of at least be a, be a fly on the wall. So so that mm -hmm. was really good, sort of using the football network. Um, and I and, and obviously we still speak t today, and I still lean on him for for some advice. And he's very much you know immersed in the space, working you know working working currently at the Premier League. Um, mm. So yeah, it, you know it was really good to to have that support in and and really learning 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 his journey as well. So yeah, really good to use that network. I think when you play the game, we know that you, you know you come across hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players over the years. You're not going to be mates with all of them. You probably mm. be mates with a handful of them. Um, mm. But the ones that you are mates with, you know hopefully you'll be able to lean on them if you're lucky enough to be a pro pros like ourselves you know the pfa is a great great avenue where you can get that sort of support as well yeah 100 percent. and it's one thing that i always kind of speak about and something that i never really did as a player like like you said there you're at your club but you don't realize that there's the accounts department there's the uh kind of the people that make the food and there's all different kind of fraternities within a football uh, team or football club and you can actually reach out to these people and naturally they will open up more to you because there's a common ground naturally there. They see more or less every day. But when I was playing, it was a case of you just go and play and, and that's it. You didn't, I didn't really speak to any of the accountants or people in that space or anything like that. So I would advise anyone in any particular sport, just utilise your, your network that is naturally there already because um, sometimes you don't realise how far or how far a reach you've got with regards to your network. Yeah, definitely. The network's everything, to be quite honest with you. Without without the network, I wouldn't be where I am now and be able to be in the spaces that I'm in now. And, you know, I think as as players, when you're in when you're in it, it's seen as busy, right? It's seen as busy and things like that. But really, I think every player is going to get to the stage where they're going to have to think about it. Unless you've played at the highest level, and even then at the highest level, you've still got a lot of living to do after you retire and you need to yeah. get yourself into something. And I think that 
when players start to get to your 30s, 31s, 32s, that question mark starts coming into their head, especially mm. those players that haven't made life-changing money, which is the majority of players, if we're being very honest with you. Mm. So I think when when you're in it, while you're earning, you know, earning your living playing, that's the time to be doing the courses where you feel that you're going to have some impact and you can go into something or, mm. you know, as we know as players, if you're training full-time, you have a lot of time on your hands. You know, you could be doing some work experiences, work experience, you know, going in for a day at an organisation to find out what it's like. Yeah. All the important stuff, I think, to be doing. 100%. And what transferable skills do you think you've taken from football into the different kind of avenues that you're looking to pursue at the minute? It's really interesting because I speak I speak about this a lot with my, my current colleagues and <clears throat> obviously as players we come from a completely different world. Um, we live in our own bubble and one of the things that I think I've learned is our, our definition of pressure is very different to the normal working world um, and I think that because we've been used to being being in highly charged environments with high pressure I feel like resilience is such a big transferable skills because mm -hmm. My version or our version of pressure is you're losing one nil at halftime, manager's coming in, he's bollocking you, you have to win, otherwise you're going to get dropped for the next game or you could get relegated or you're not going to get in the playoffs. Mm. Whereas maybe someone at, at work, they might have a project that's that might be due in, in a couple of weeks and they're so nervous and they, they feel really pressured. And I think, I don't think that's pressure. That's not my version of pressure, do you know yeah. what I mean? So I think that kind of that resilience and being able to work and work under whatever your version of pressure is, is a massive transferable skills. The obvious, like being able to work in, in, in a team, uh, being able to communicate, uh, being able to work with different people, because mm. we know in football that it's a conveyor belt of players. So being able to adapt and change and, and speak that different languages in terms of how you're communicating with people is definitely a transferable skill as well. Mm. Yeah, 100% agree with that one. Um, what about retirement? So... I always draw on kind of when I was what in my twenties or whatever, and whenever someone brought up the, the word retirement, it was always more or less seen as a bit of a negative. People used to kind of detract from discussing what their plans were moving forward. They didn't really want to think about it, um, and I can understand why, especially if you're a young player as well. You're not really thinking about oh well, in fifteen years, what am I going to be doing? You want to be kind of focusing on, or you're normally focusing on getting into the first team or getting into reserves or, or whatever it is. So do you think, with that in mind, do you think retirement should be approached in a different way from, a, from an athlete perspective? I think retirement should be on a part of the conversation from day one, to be mm. quite honest with you. And I think it should be a part of that, that development going forward. So I think that if you're a player coming through an academy, for an example, and you're going through that pathway, that constant conversation of after football needs to be happening and that preparation. So whether it's doing the qualifications, doing a, a degree or even doing that work experience, I think it needs to be, it needs to be a part of the agenda always. And even if those seeds are dropped into the academy, into the 18s, going up into the 23s, by the time you're in the first team, you should already sort of have some sort of a mindset where you're thinking, right, I need to have an idea of what I'm going to do after playing. Now, when you're playing, we know that's your sole focus. And so it should be, you know, that's your sole focus should be playing. But I think in the back of your mind, in the back of your head, there still should be a conversation going around. Okay, what am I going to do after? And like we said, we've got, we've got so much time as a player. Yeah. So there's so much time to develop. There's so much time to read. There's so much time to do things. And I think players need to utilise that time better. Mm, yeah, definitely. And like, 
obviously, so with your career, you played for like, quite a lot of teams um, and kind of in the, the lower tier of professional football, so to speak. Now, whilst that is still a very, very, very good level to play at and very, very difficult to, to sustain as well, some people don't kind of realise how hard it is to sustain a, a kind of level of consistency at that, that level. Um, do you think those players who have been around a long time, like yourself, at that level, are more kind of receptive to thinking about life after football? Or is it just the same kind of across the board? What What have you experienced? It's a good question. I mean, I've, I, I say I've probably played the predominantly in the National League and the National League South. Mm. And two leagues that are kind of very much on the periphery of professional football. So you've got National League, which is a professional league. Football, you know, full-time, unbelievable level of football now. You've got yeah. the National League South now where the quality is filtering down. You've got teams like Yeovil in that league, um, Torquay. You know, you've got some big clubs at that level. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on what stage of players' careers they're at. But I think certainly that the, the younger players, I think they're really focused on the game. For years and years and years, I've told younger players, you know, if you're, and, and all players really, if you're playing part-time football, you need to be doing something after that. You need to be get working part-time or you need to be, you know, either in the gym or really just working on yourself. And there's a lot mm. of players that don't do anything. Um, there's players that I play with now who are probably a similar age to me or not too, too much younger than me that are not really working. And try to give them that advice of, you know, speaking to the PFA if they have been a pro, looking at qualifications, looking at doing, doing some kind of work experience. So I think... Mm. To be quite honest, I think it's fairly similar. Mm. I think it just depends on what path you've taken. So if you're a player that was maybe predominantly in the non-league game, you probably have worked the majority of your life alongside playing. I think if you're coming on the other end of the spectrum where you've maybe played full-time a lot of the time, I think that transition is quite hard for players, which was what I found. And you touched on it a second ago about kind of your teammates and you've kind of tried to get in their heads and say, look, you need to be doing something in your spare time, which is great. I was going to say, like, what? So, based on your current teammate at Village Hamlet, so yeah. they must look at you, and I'm just assuming here, right? It's probably better off me asking the question. So, do they look at you and think, oh, Danny's playing well, he's playing like week in, week out, he's banging in the goals, but also away from football, he's doing all these other things and he's really successful in those things and those areas as well. It, it, does that kind of, do they look at that and think, I want to get involved in something like that. Maybe not in the, the boardroom space or yeah. whatever, but like maybe doing some type of um, educational work or work, whatever it is in the working world. Do they do they look at you and think, okay, well, that's someone to maybe look up to or admire or maybe just kind of copy, so to speak? I think so, yeah. You know, I, I was actually speaking to a player on the weekend about this. Uh, older player said he's not working but really wants to get into something you know he's sort of at that point now in his life where you know, mm. football okay you know it's not going to retire us and I was making life-changing money here um, and we had a you know a down-to-earth conversation about kind of the work that I do and, and I think it really kind of sort of inspired him to say do you know what I'd really want to get involved in something like that not necessarily my line of work but mm. you know I want to get into something that I feel passionate about that you know that I really want to do um, so I think that players do look at it and think I think they look at it and think how do you firstly how do you find a time to do all of it um, but also how did you end up getting into it anyway in the first place Mm. um and and they said don't you find it difficult to do that and play and I said to be quite honest I find it easier to do it and play because I can switch off from the playing side and the work side 
mm. and switch off from the work side and go to the playing side. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, and I actually think it's better for me mentally anyway, because we know what football's like. Football is all in, full on. If that's all you've got on your mind, that is heavy. It's heavy to, it's heavy to have that on your mind. So I, I like the fact that I can just switch off. I can get up, I can do my work, right? I can look forward to going to football and then I can switch off and I can go to work. Mm. Yeah, that's a great insight. And then, so I'm going back, I'm quite a lot older than you, um, but I know that a lot's changed since kind of when I was playing, especially kind of in the early stages of my career, kind of 18, 19, 20, there, thereabouts. Um, there's a lot more kind of information out there for athletes who are thinking about kind of transitioning and uh, things around that kind of area and that arena, essentially. Uh, people are a lot more kind of uh, understanding and, and kind of receptive to hearing about players' experiences and things like mental health and all those other things that you normally hear. But do you think, with that in mind, do you, do you think more help's needed for athletes when it comes to kind of transitioning from sport to another career? And I'm talking about all athletes, whether you're top tier and have been there from day one, all the way down to kind of uh, part-time, lower league or whatever it is in your particular sports field. Yeah, I think so. I think there needs to be a lot more visibility. I think there needs to be more visibility from the players that are doing it um, so that players can understand that it is, you know, achievable, mm. it is attainable. I think there's definitely been a stigma from the early days when I was playing around, you know, working a normal job. I've heard many different statements over the years around our oh, nah, I couldn't work I couldn't work in a shop or I couldn't like work in an office or all this kind of stuff like it's just not me those types of statements but I think that's because players don't actually understand I don't think they've actually been exposed to what opportunities are actually out there yeah. and I think a, a lot of players have always been in football but you 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 know you spoke about it before around understanding that within we within the football world there are so many different opportunities and it doesn't have to be on the grass. It doesn't have to be a coach. You know, like you said, there are accountants, there are equality, diversity and inclusion roles. There are player liaison roles. You know, there are, uh, um, you know, obviously board roles. There's so many different opportunities within the game, be either being a physio, whatever that may look like. And I think players just need that visibility to say, Do you know what? I actually might like doing that. I might actually like looking after players and being a player care liaison or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just to kind of close off with that in mind, based on what you just said there, have you got like any advice that you'd want to give to any athlete, so not just football, any kind of sporting athlete out there with regards to how they should or, or shouldn't approach kind of life after professional sport? I would say prepare yourself to be uncomfortable and put yourself in uncomfortable situations and positions. I'd done the same thing. You know, I was, I wouldn't necessarily say I was a, ever a, a confident public speaker, but, you know, I read books, I watched YouTube videos. I was doing all sorts to try and prepare myself for some of the things that I was going to do. And even to this day, I don't really feel hundred percent comfortable, but I think no matter what you do as an athlete after, you are going to be uncomfortable because you're not going to be doing the sport that you, you once done. You might be doing it, you know, uh, you know, casually, but you need to prepare yourself to be in an uncomfortable situation. But knowing that by going through that, that you're going to grow and understand that there is life after, after the sport that you do, it was just one part of your life and the next part of your life can be just, just as good, if not better. Definitely. That's great advice. Really appreciate you coming on. It was obviously 
uh, great to catch up as well. Um, just let everyone know again what you're doing, so who you're playing for, and obviously what you do away from football as well. Yeah, so um, I'm currently playing for uh, Dulwich, Dulwich Hamlet, um, currently in the Ishmian, Ishmian League. Um, so, yeah, we, we obviously train sort of part time um, and I'm also a diversity and inclusion consultant uh, working sort of in the city uh, full time. So um, very busy, uh, sit on the board at Show Race and the Red Card um, and also sit on the board um, at a secondary school where I was a student. Awesome. And just let everyone know if we can find you on the socials, if so, where? Yeah, so yeah, I'm 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 on Instagram. I don't really really use it that much, um, but yeah, I, I suppose LinkedIn is probably where I, I use I use it more. So um, yeah, LinkedIn is where I kind of post all my kind of working stuff and things like that. Um, so yeah, can can find me on there and keep keep up keep up to date with some of the work that I'm doing. Love that, Millsy. We'll catch up soon again. Really appreciate your time. Uh, keep up the good work and obviously I'll be keeping an eye on you as well. All the best, mate. Cheers. Thanks, Dan. See you later. See ya. Cheers.